Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. Today, I'm joined by Christopher Yoder. Hey, Jacob. Thanks for having me on the show. Gladly. And we're going to talk about his game, Tango, which is on Kickstarter right now. But before we get into the game and Christopher's game story and all that kind of stuff, let's talk a little bit about what we've been playing lately. So, Christopher, any cool games that you've been playing? Always a fun topic. Yeah, so I've been in gaming for probably over 10 years, and I always kind of stayed away from uh, Magic the Gathering, Pokemon, the trading card mm-hmm. games, even like Android Netrunner. I wanted to be able to play a variety of games and not get stuck on on one track, but I, I finally gave in with Keyforge. Mm-hmm. Uh, just uh, as yeah. soon as I read about the concept on Board Game Geek, immediately intrigued and fascinated about having a deck that literally no one else in the universe has that combination of cards. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, you get that a little bit with Dominion, but then as soon as you you get to know the set, it you have to pack it all up and put it back in the box, and you never get to use that deck again. So this kind of gave that feel but in a head-to-head game. And I always enjoy the, the, the interactions and the strategies and counter-strategies that you get in a head-to-head game. Keyforge does that in a way that gives you so much replayability. I'm, I'm curious, have you played it? I have. I've played it a few times. Unfortunately, I think my first deck that I got was absolute shit. And so the like two or three times that I've played the game, I just got my ass handed to me every single time. That would definitely sour your experience of the game. But um, one of the popular formats that people play is is reversal so if you get a deck like that you can just do a reversal format and each person brings their worst deck and you give it to the other player and then and then you kind of have equal footing that way yeah and i i do have like actually uh greg who's often on the podcast he loves keyforge he played a lot of it and enjoys like you know getting the different decks and checking them out and all that for me i have a few like quibbles with the game i think like one of the big things for me is just that like I don't like not being able to like play and or use any of the cards in my hand. Like, you know, the fact that it's, you can only play or you and use like one house. Sure. And to me, it's just like, but why? I want to use everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which I mean, I understand it's a gameplay like mechanic and all that. And I think the concept is really cool. I love the procedurally generated concept. I think that that is amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, and something that, that me and my friends have done with it is just there's a fan-made app that ranks, you know, all the decks by a percentile. You know, this is this mm-hmm. is in the top 10% of decks, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, the nature of the game is that it's really hard to procedurally evaluate a deck's rank. You know, the, the numbers might make a deck seem really, it might be really good on paper, but then when you actually yeah. get it out into the wild, just there might be just a, something that makes that deck tick. So, but what, what, we'll, what we'll often do is just grab the app and, you know, one person will pick a deck and then the other person will pick a deck that's, that's almost the same rank. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, what it does is any deck I buy, anytime I shell out $10 for a deck, you yeah. know, I'm hoping to get this really awesome deck or mm-hmm. a really terrible deck for reversal. But if I get a middle of the pack deck, yeah. You know, I, I know that I, that my friend will have a, d- a deck that's competitive with it and we can, we can have a great game with that. So, and I think that that's the key thing, uh, yeah. really to have your friends into it and be able to just, you know, hang out and like play some of this, because for me, like I'm, I'm like you, I, I really, for the most part have stayed away from CCGs in general, mm-hmm. but I do like playing them every once in a while. Sure. 
like we've done a few streams of the unset i think it was i forget whether it was like unglued or something was the last one in magic and we did like a draft kind of formula for that and i really enjoyed that and then i've gotten to play a few others and the, and usually it's the draft formula that i like because it's like you know okay nobody's making a perfect deck no one's building a perfect deck they're just you're just putting together what you can from the cards you get and i think that's my favorite kind of actually constructed thing but sure. like keyforge the great thing is you don't have to worry about that you just get a deck yeah and that's it you exactly. play with that and there isn't really that much else yeah and i think that it's one of those things that i just really have to give another shot yeah absolutely i i highly recommend it you know as a board gamer you know i always thought of myself as being a board gamer and the, and the magic the gathering players were doing their weird thing over there and it's mm -hmm. kind of bridged that gap for me that uh, it, it lets me play some games with some people that I otherwise wouldn't get to play games with. And, uh, and it just hits a sweet spot for me that I don't have a lot of time with three kids, and, but I can still just sit down for a quick game with a friend and, and get that CCG experience and, and, the, and the joy of discovery. And every time you play, it's new. And as soon as the game starts to lose some of its freshness, you know, I just buy a new deck and all of a sudden it's like a brand new game again. So yeah, I really recommend it. Yeah. Uh, can I can I talk about another game that I've been playing recently? Yeah, go for it. Go for it. So Uwe Rosenberg is seems to be the king of polyominoes right now mm -hmm. with Patchwork and Cottage Garden and his whole trio of games. So my mom's a quilter. And uh, for Christmas, I saw that uh, they were coming out with this Patchwork doodle. And my mom loves to like draw little doodles while she's on the phone and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, it's a perfect Christmas gift. So, so I, I got it for as an IOU because I said it's not out yet. And then it took like six or seven months for the, uh, the game to come out. So I, I felt really yeah. bad that she got her Christmas gift very late. But in the meantime, he came out with mm -hmm. another game. It was incredibly similar. So, so for those of you who don't know, Patchwork Doodle is a roll and write version of... Uh, well, it's actually a, a card and write, a flip a card and write, but it's 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 yeah. a riff on the roll and write system of uh, of Uwe Rosenberg's really uh, successful patchwork polyomino game. So mm -hmm. you know Tetris style pieces. But in the meantime, he came out with another game almost identical to it, but actually simpler, called Second Chance. And it's another game mm -hmm. where you, everyone has their own, I think it's nine by nine grid that they're trying to fill with polyominoes and you flip cards in the center and then everybody can choose which of the two cards in the center they want to add to their grid. And you're just, if you mm -hmm. fill up your grid, you win immediately. And if you run out of time, then whoever has the fewest empty spaces wins. And it's, it's such a simple game. And actually, yeah. So I actually bought that for her because it came out before Patchwork Express, mm -hmm. and I ended up liking it a lot more than that oh. because it's 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 simpler. Patchwork Doodle added some more complexity in the score, and you had like three scoring rounds, and the scoring was kind of uh, was kind of wonky. Mm -hmm. And it had some, like special powers and, and things, which I, I re it has its place in a really uh, not dissing the game, but yeah, the yeah. beauty of Second Chance has been I could teach to anybody. This this Sunday we had a church picnic, and mm -hmm. you know I just busted it out with some people who weren't gamers, and uh, one of the ladies was seventy one years old, and she just picked it up immediately. I mean you almost don't even have to explain the game. You're just like here add this draw this shape on your paper and then you flip two cards. You're like, pick one of those two cards and write it in there. And people just get it immediately. It's, it's already mm -hmm. familiar to them if they've played Tetris, you know, and people always comment that it's just, it's like Tetris on a piece of paper. Or one guy said, it's like Tetris, but slower. 
<laughs> and we actually use colored pencils. So you end up with mm -hmm. this beautiful and people get really artistic with it. Everybody, everybody has their own style of art, you yeah. know, and it's, it's very therapeutic. You know, it's like, I, I, I never thought when I was a kid that when I grew up, I would get back into coloring, mm -hmm. but, but there's just something about sitting around a table with friends and just hearing the, the scrape of the, of the colored pencils and it's just very therapeutic and relaxing. Oh yeah. So how about you? I'm, I'm really interested to hear what, what games you've been playing lately. I mean, the game that I've been playing lately, and uh, this was actually on stream last week, we started Scythe Rise of Fenris. Oh, I'm so jealous. I haven't even had a chance to play Scythe yet, but I'm a huge 4X game fan. So it's it's been on, on my to play list for a long time. The Scythe was the first board game I backed on Kickstarter. Wow. And yeah, it was... That's a good place uh, to start. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> With that one, like, I mean, it started with that, and uh, I love the artwork. The artwork is what sold me on the game, and then oh, like, yeah. actually playing it is is a really good game as well. I'm such a but, sucker for alternate mm -hmm. histories. Yes, yes. Like, the, the world itself of that game is just phenomenal. Oh, yeah. The mechs and all that, and, and, and I think one of my favorite parts about it is that as much as you have, like, these mechs and big things that are, like, just around the board this isn't a battle game it's a resource management game hmm. i've heard that about it that it's more like a three and a half x game that the that the that the, it kind of downplays the the battling aspect which you know just hearing that kind of disappoints me because i love the i love strategy and and counter strategy and i feel like a lot of times this move you know tactical movement on a map really appeals to me and i'm curious do you still mm -hmm. get a feeling of, of of strategy and counter strategy and trying to outwit the other players or is it just whoever builds the best engine wins no 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 this is this is not an engine building game it's a great thing because you really if you play it like an engine building game you're not going to get really far because it has so much territory control and all of your resources are like on the board itself there is still a ton of tactical movement and tactical like just who's going to move where and then you see how much power everybody has and like you know oh is there a way for me to actually beat them if they have this card or this card and you know the distributions of that there's still a very very deep level of that kind of tactical movement and just tactical things but it's it's just that you don't fight very often but when you do it's like critical points Okay, that's that's fascinating. I it's not a hard sell. Mm. I'm already sold on the game, but but just hearing you describe it in, that, in mm. those terms of is is fascinating. I, I can't wait to try it. We had one move, uh, or I had one move in our last game where you know this one person has been controlling the middle space, which is a factory for like the entire game, but he's had too much power, and also uh, one of his abilities was to steal cards from other people when they attacked him. So that would mean that he just has a lot of defense in there and it would be really, really difficult to actually beat him. But he was aiming for a star that was pretty much go to the top of the track for military power. Okay. And I used that chance in order to attack him and knew that either he would use his military power and therefore drop on the scale, which would mean that the game's going to go a bit longer. He was about to end the game with that last star. So it's kind of a do or die situation for you in that It was regard. a do or die, but it was also like, you know, if he uses power to defend, then, you know, we extend the game. But if he doesn't use power to defend, I will beat him and kick him off of that space and get the benefits of that space. Mm, 
So it was one of those like perfectly timed tactical movements where it was just like, this is my time to attack. I hadn't attacked anyone in the, in the entire game. And then it was like, all right, this is the perfect time for me to go and attack him there because either way, it's a benefit to me. Either the game's going to get longer or I'm going to get the benefits of the factory. So how'd that work out for you? I got the benefits of the factory. I actually scored three stars out of the uh, six that you have uh, during the game. I scored three of them with just that one move. Oh, wow. Yeah. How did so, he not see that coming? <laughs> I mean, the thing is that he he had a target on his face. Everybody was going for yeah. him to prevent him from ending the game. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of us were still like, you know, all right, we're still in this. He was just blitzing towards the end. So it was one of those things where like he knew he had a target on his face. He couldn't really do too much, but he still wanted to end the game. So he didn't, he decided not to defend against me as well. Gotcha. So, and I just spent all of my military power and got kicked off of the factory immediately by the next person. But that really didn't matter to me because I'd already gotten the benefits of the stars. So, so the real question is, did you win the game? I did. I actually ended up winning the game by around, I think it was somewhere around like, eight or 10 points, which is a lot of pretty much, I I gained 12 points, uh, or I think actually maybe 14 points on that move. So that pretty much was the like deciding factor between the two. Sweet. Any other games? That's all I've had the time to play recently. It's been extremely busy for me, but I put out a video about Irish Gage recently. So if people haven't seen that, they should definitely check it out. What was that? A five things we like video about uh, Irish Gage. So Irish Gage. Okay. Yeah. I haven't, I, it's a train game, right? Yep. I think I mm-hmm. saw that once. Yeah. But I don't know much about it. Yeah. It's pretty cool. But I think that should be about it for what we've been playing recently. Alrighty. And welcome back, everyone. And it's time for the main event. We are here talking to Christopher Yoder about tangle but before we jump into the game itself i wanted to know what is your gamer story like how did you get into board games what brought you to this place well uh, i love telling that story and i i rarely get the chance to you'd be surprised how few people at uh you know at parties come up to me and ask me how to, how i got into games i know it's it's strange you should, <laughs> yeah, everyone should be right? asking that right i know you know when i ask people that i get strange looks so <laughs> So I, I grew up in a family of six kids, a fairly conservative Mennonite family. We, d- we didn't watch a lot of TV, mm-hmm. and, but one of the main things that we could do for fun was just play board games. So I remember just uh, as a kid really enjoying Dutch Blitz and Meal Born and uh, Rum Cube and just any time, but any time there was a, a game on the table, I was there. But I didn't really find out about hobby games until probably like I was 14 or something. And uh, a guy from church brought Settlers of Catan over for Sunday Mm -hmm. afternoon lunch. And it blew my mind at the time. I'd never experienced anything like this. And, and, And then I became somewhat obsessed with it and annoyed all my friends begging them to play at church camp and, and, and every every opportunity. And I, I burned out my, my cousins on the game pretty quickly. They were into it for a while, but that kind of died out. Mm-hmm. 
some of that uh, obsessive tendencies led into I discovered Halo on the Xbox, which mm-hmm. is really like a board game, but you're you're one of the pieces, at least the way we would play it. We would get, I yeah. remember one time we got 16 guys together and we had two TVs in one room, two TVs in another room, and you know these massive eight eight on eight Halo battles. Dang, so yeah. um, had my little first person shooter phase there. And then I just remember for Christmas one year, I was thinking, uh, there's got to be other good games out there. Actually, no, I totally forgot. I went to Europe with a Mennonite mm-hmm. choir. So I was I was singing with this group. We, we did a lot of acapella music. And we went on a mm-hmm. three-week tour in Europe, went to Holland and Germany and Switzerland, dipped into France. And uh, while we were in Germany... I was staying with a host family and we played Settlers of Catan. And then they told me that um, they have this thing every year in Germany. They have an award for the game of the year, the Spiel des Jahres, and everybody goes mm-hmm. out and buys it. And it's like, a, it's almost part of the mainstream culture there. It just blew my mind. Yeah. I was like, why don't we have this in America? I mean, <laughs> come to find out we did have it in America. I just, I wasn't part of that world. So they taught us Carcassonne. And, you know, just at some point, I discovered BoardGameGeek.com and just, mm-hmm. My world exploded, and there's this whole new world to discover and explore. And I remember for Christmas one year, I was like, "Oh, okay, so I gotta, I gotta ask for a new game for Christmas." And you know, I was probably like 20, and mm-hmm. um, it got Small World for Christmas, and and nice. uh, just played the snot out of that game, and still yeah. still have a soft place in my heart for Small World. And then, um, yeah, and then just ever since then, you know, my collection has kind of steadily grown faster sometimes than others. And actually, you know, yep. now that I'm up to three kids, it's it's kind of waning. I've, I've found some other interests. Mm-hmm. Actually, I recently, I don't know if you're allowed to talk about non-game things on the show, but... Go for it. I recently uh, took up uh, paramotoring with uh, my two mm. brothers. So we, we uh, just a few weeks ago, we went out to Ohio, got a week of training. It's kind of like a sink or swim type of situation. And so I got three yeah. flights under my belt in Ohio with an instructor in my ear. And then, and then since then, I've, I've gotten to take it up twice just on my own, just get to fly around. In case any of your listeners don't know, a paramotor is basically a trike with an engine and propeller and then almost like a parasail. It's, it's called a paraglider, like a wing yeah. in the shape of a parachute strapped to it. And uh, you don't even have to have a pilot's license mm. and, and you could literally fly. It's it's magical. It's one of the yeah, most amazing really cool. experiences yeah. I've ever had. So it scratches a lot of the same itches that uh that board gaming does oh yeah i mean like there are a lot of really cool hobbies out there i mean that's that's a unique one but really awesome i mean yeah i just get to you know go fly around uh, whenever i want and (laughs) that's unbelievable pretty amazing yeah it's not whenever you want because you're very dependent on the weather because i uh uh, i've got like a 10-day stretch here where i can't go up because it's going to be too windy but Mm, that makes sense and you can only fly in the morning and in the evening but but hey i'm Mm. not complaining if i get to fly period you know once a month that's exactly incredible exactly yeah well that's awesome i mean like honestly you uh you got one of the other questions that we often ask here on dragon's demise which is what are your hobbies and well there we go that's a great one (laughs) yeah but i'm gonna take this conversation and bring it back to the game because now i want to ask you a little bit about what is tangle tangle okay so in a nutshell it's a game that uses polyomino shapes so um heptominoes having seven squares and hexominoes having six squares 
Um, so mm -hmm. very similar to what you'd see in a game like Patchwork or Blockus. In fact, when we get into the history of the game, uh, I'll, yeah. I'll touch on how Blockus was involved in, in the seed that, that started the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, you simply are trying to create the most rectangular shape, and that's measured by how many outside corners you have once you've put all mm -hmm. your pieces together. So everybody gets 10 pieces. Everybody's working in real time simultaneously on their own puzzle, and uh, you're just putting your pieces together uh, and trying to get them to fit together as, as well as they can. You get a random 10 pieces, and then when you finish, you grab a, a bonus token from the middle, and it'll give you a certain amount of additional points and you don't want points so you count the outside corner you get a point for mm -hmm. every outside corner on your puzzle when you're done and then whoever has the lowest score wins so also if you finish first you know you get to grab that bonus token that has the fewest points on it um yeah. if you finish last you're going to get one with a bunch of points and it's going to be hard to overcome that so there's just a a gentle nudge to to not mm -hmm. uh do too much analysis paralysis uh while you're playing the game and that's pretty much it. I mean, it's like a two-minute game, and you, you almost always play several rounds. And the nice thing is it accommodates a large amount of players, you know. With my prototypes, I've played, you know, groups of like 10. But uh, out of the box, um, it'll play up to six players. And if, if you want to play with more, you can just purchase this, uh, a second copy of the game. Okay, that's cool. I, I like how, how these kinds of games can really get ex expandable. This is, I think, the first game where we always joke about you know this being golf scoring so you want the lowest score this one is that you want the lowest score absolutely that that is a lot of fun so i was looking through the pictures er earlier of tangle and i noticed the cards they have like all these different weird shapes and things like that what are those about uh are you talking about the the puzzle cards the solo puzzles Possibly. I, I just like see one that's like, you know, shaped as a um, music note and things like that. Oh, gotcha. Yes. So, so after the publisher signed the game, mm -hmm. he said he wanted me to design a solo version of the game. And we'll get into this. It actually ties into the, the history of the game, which we'll get to. Mm -hmm. But I just had the idea of rather than making it a solo game, just the nature of the game is that it's a puzzle. It's really multiplayer solitaire with just a hint of interaction. But the solo version is just you, you have a shape that you're trying to create. The card tells you which pieces to use. Mm -hmm. And you simply try to make that exact shape. You know, you have to count the number of squares on the edge with the pieces that have been given to you. And, and it's surprisingly really hard like i created the puzzles <laughs> um and then i yeah. tried to do one and, and it works because i have a terrible memory so i can't actually remember mm -hmm. the solution and it one of the easier cards took me a half hour to to do the puzzle so oh, so we, we, we had to create some extra puzzles at lower levels and try to dial back the difficulty somewhat mm -hmm. But the way we have it set up is just it just gradually ramps up in difficulty. So you start with something easy, like a phone game. I mean, that's the mm -hmm. the series is analog app, so it's it's trying to be like a phone game, and 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 the solo aspect of the game really hits that that nail on the head. And so you just try to play through the puzzles and just work your way from easy to medium to hard, and that's pretty awesome. much it. And that actually reminded me, I did I did miss a very vital mm -hmm. section of the rules. So in addition to everybody working on their own puzzle. There's also a set of pieces in the middle, and mm -hmm. as as often as like as you like, you can pay a piece to the middle to take a piece from the middle. 
Ooh. So, so that does add just a hint of interaction that, uh, you know, it's never really been where two people grab for the same piece and, and, and one gets mm-hmm. it before them. But you, you can see a piece in the middle that looks good for you, trade for it, a piece that's bad for you, and then someone else can be like, ooh, that's, that's a piece I needed. And, and then you're like, ah, oh, I, I just gave them what they needed, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. I was uh, thinking of that exact thing. It's that, That's what it seems like, uh, the, the balance where it's just like, I'm going to put this back out there, but you almost sort of want to look at what other people are doing. It's like, oh, they have the space exactly for this piece and I'm going to make their, their like square or something like that. Yeah. And some people, some players will use that. And some players I, I've noticed just completely ignore the middle, mm-hmm. but but usually uh, uh, at least half of the of players at the table are using it. And it's the whole one mm-hmm. man's junk is another man's treasure yeah. principle. And it just adds a hint of, of friendly interaction so that you're not just focused on your puzzle and what you're doing and and not interacting at all with the other players. Yeah. So when you're building your square, I'm guessing that it has to be fully filled in. Yeah. So yeah, you're not allowed to have any holes in, in the rectangle. Yeah. We experimented early on with allowing it, but, but actually scoring the holes. So every outside Mm. corner on your hole, but it just, it was, it was harder to explain that than to just say, you're not allowed to have any holes. Yeah, fair enough. Fair so, enough. That's cool. Yeah. I always try to simplify mm-hmm. the rules. Yeah. I mean, simplifying rules is is a great thing to do and also very difficult. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Because it's hard to like take things out. And, you know, like the old saying is where a good engineer isn't worried about what they can put in. It's what they're worried about what they can take out. Exactly. Same thing with game design. Uh, yeah. Couldn't say it better myself. So... You've been talking about how the game came about and hinting at it for a bit. <laughs> Let's jump into that. All how right. did this this idea come? How did you uh, make this this game? So I never would have just set out to create a game like this. It's actually it's it's not my style of game. As I said earlier, like my mm-hmm. Grail game would be a four X game that plays in an hour or less. Like that's the game yeah. I want to design. So the game really more evolved than than actually like I set out to design a, a five minute mm-hmm. filler game. It's it's really not my passion, but it has become my passion. Mm-hmm. So the original seed was I was I was playing Blockus Duo. Mm-hmm. on a travel set and um so I, I went to put the game away when i was done and it, it didn't have a box it was just a bag so to get everything to fit in nicely i needed to click all the pieces into the tray yeah and there's enough pieces that it's actually uh tricky to do that you actually have mm-hmm. to fit everything together very well to get it all to get it all in and you're only going to have a few spaces left over at the end and yeah. um, as I was doing that, it was just an activity. It wasn't even a game, but it became like a, a, a puzzle or a game to me as I was doing it. And I was like, yeah. this was actually more fun than actually playing Blockus. <laughs> and, and it just got me thinking. And actually, my first idea for some reason was not to make a game out of it, but was just to make a jigsaw puzzle out of yeah. polyomino pieces. Because whenever I would play Patchwork, you know, it'd always be like two or three squares short of completing my square at the end of the game. It was just so frustrating. Yeah. It was like, I just want to cross the finish line, so to speak, and actually fill mm-hmm. up my square. My wife, of course, did one time in a game versus me. She always oh beats me. So I was like, how could you make that happen every time? And I, and it, I realized, well, you could just have it be a jigsaw puzzle. Mm-hmm. 
and so it's not a game, but you, but it's going to be a challenge to fit all the pieces together and and act, but but then you know that it's going to uh, you know that you're going to eventually get a perfect yeah. shape at the end. So I work at this really cool place called Miller Metal Fabrication, mm-hmm. and um, basically I get to do sheet metal origami on a computer for a living. We have lasers, That's so really so cool. we we get sheet metal. We we have lasers and press brakes to bend it up and and you can just make anything and welders mm-hmm. and robotic robotic welders and machining centers and it's just it's a geek's paradise so yeah. i drew it up in cad i do 3d cad all day it's my main job mm-hmm. and so i i drew up just like a polyomino puzzle next door there's a like a craft store or um mm-hmm. like a gift shop kind of sort of thing and and they yeah. had these welcome mats with images on them. So, so I grabbed one of those and it took me way longer to cut out. I just, I was just using scissors. Um, mm. If I tried to do it with a laser, it would melt it. So I just cut it out and then I took it home and I just dumped all the pieces on the table. And immediately my kids and my wife just like started putting it together like that. Like I didn't say anything. Mm. I didn't explain any rules because there were no rules. It's obvious. It's just a yeah. jigsaw puzzle. But they just, they, and, and they just stopped what they were doing. And this is not my wife's personality at all, but she just mm-hmm. stopped. She stopped cooking supper and she just started putting pieces together and didn't stop until we had the whole thing together. And, oh, that's awesome. and I was like, hmm, I, I think I might be kind of onto something here. Mm-hmm. So working at a sheet metal factory, I couldn't resist getting this made out of sheet metal. And uh, mm-hmm. since I work there, I can get it done very cheaply. So I just found a piece of scrap metal hiding behind a cabinet somewhere and mm-hmm. um, stainless steel and uh, cut a set of pieces out of that. And I was planning at that point still to make it be a jigsaw puzzle, but I hadn't figured mm-hmm. out how to laser out the metal without destroying the artwork. But I had made that set of pieces and I just took them to game night. And and, and I had been kind of thinking of like, just you know, getting ready in the morning and thinking about how would I, how could I actually make a game out of this? So at some point I had just had the idea of just trying to make a rectangle, but you score based on how many outside corners you have. Mm-hmm. And so I just took it to game night and uh, plopped it on the table. And before I knew it, you know, we had like eight, 10 people gathered around playing game after game of this first prototype, just with metal pieces. And people really liked the way the metal pieces clink together and that sort of thing. Oh, of course. So around that time, Unpub rolled around and, and I'm always mm-hmm. scrambling to have a game ready in time for that. And uh, I've, I've never really, I've never been really prepared, but I've gone anyway several mm-hmm. times. So I, I just decided to take take this, you know, it was something simple. It wasn't the game I would necessarily want to take. It wasn't my 4X, you know, in mm-hmm. an, an under an hour game that I dream of designing, yeah. but um, I had it ready. So I took it and uh, I wasn't even registered you know, as a designer, but, mm-hmm. but managed to get a five hour slot when, when it was open to the general public, which turned out to be the perfect time because there's a lot of non-gamers that came to, to the convention mm-hmm. and they just, you know, most of the games there at Unpub are, are fairly complicated. And I just person after person sat down and, and just said, you know, I, I, I saw your game and it looked really simple because there's no text. You didn't have any cards with rules that you mm-hmm. had to read. You know, it was just like, it was just shapes and, and yeah. people basically looked at it and knew what they were supposed to do and how to play. And, and, you know, I, I would sell it by just saying, Hey, it takes five minutes. And every time I would say that people would just sit down that weekend at Unpub, I had the chance to play it with designers and brainstorm with other designers. It's just an incredible mm-hmm. experience. I highly recommend going to a prototype convention for any aspiring game designer. It's, it's, 
the most inspiring thing you can do. And mm -hmm. there's just something magical that happens when like-minded yet different people put their brains together and look at a problem from multiple perspectives. And mm -hmm. um, there's a passage in the description that says iron sharpens iron and yeah. board game designers sharpen board game designers. Um, it's, it's, it's incredible. I just kept changing the rules and playing it and then change the rules and playing it. And the design, the simplicity of the components and the simplicity, uh, the, the, the short time span lent itself mm -hmm. to rapid iteration, um, which is always a plus in game design. So we were able to just tweak a rule, play it, tweak a rule, play it, tweak a rule, play it. And it was just really fortunate that by the end of my five hour slot there, that's when my game was most refined or the rules were most mm -hmm. defined. And that's when David Abelson from Fisher Heat and Games sat down on a recommendation from one of his other designers and tried the game out. And he actually he actually made a little suggestion to the rules. I don't mm -hmm. remember off the top of my head exactly what it was, but we, we went ahead and tried it. So he was even tweaking the game right there even before even before expressing interest in publishing it. And I had yeah. no idea that he was a publisher. You know, I thought he was just some mm -hmm. dude off the street street who sat yeah. down and wanted to try out the game. But then he asked me if I had a publisher and and uh I, mm -hmm. I said no. And uh <laughs> said um I would like to publish your game. So we, we stayed in contact for a while after that. And eventually I, I decided to go ahead and sign with him. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So then, and then the game's been through quite a few iterations since then as well. We, we, we mm -hmm. cut a copy out of fluorescent acrylic. That one looked really cool, but unfortunately that's, that's outside of the scope of the Kickstarter project. Um, yeah. So this latest version is cardboard and we've, you know, a lot of the hard work has just been constantly creating the files, the, the cutting files mm -hmm. for, for new prototypes. Cause we keep changing the number of pieces and the shapes that we're going to use and having more shapes or less shapes. And we've, we've just done at least seven or eight iterations of that. And I've just been really fortunate that I've been able to go through those. I've been able to produce those fairly quickly because I do CAD for a living. So, um, yep. so creating geometry patterns on a computer screen is just something that I, that I, that I have a lot of practice with. Yeah, for sure. And like fitting everything, I mean, especially if you're doing laser cutting, it's like fitting as much as, so you can get as little scrap as possible on, on the different sheets. I'm exactly. sure that's also something that you're a pro at. Yeah. Well, and the cool thing is, as part of trying to get all these prototypes together, I went to a makerspace down like 45 minutes from where I live um, mm -hmm. that had a laser cutter. And like I said earlier, our lasers, our, our million and a half dollar lasers for cutting metal would melt acrylic or cardboard or yeah. anything you'd try to cut with that. And um, so, but this makerspace had this little Chinese hundred hundred watt laser. Mm -hmm. And it was, I was amazed at the cutting quality and speed that it was able to, to cut this job out with, which, so then I, I ended up taking samples back to my boss and sold him on the idea of getting, of getting a, a Chinese laser cutter in the office mm. for prototyping. And, and, uh, I had some excuses, you know, I had obviously had <laughs> ulterior motives, but, uh, yeah. but I, I, I just, I, I, I took a bunch of samples and I really sold him and the vice president on the idea. And so, oh, that's cool. so they got me uh, Christmas came early, early this year. They, they went ahead and got a laser for the office and it is amazing. I mean, I am spoiled rotten as a game designer, <laughs> like, like moving forward, <laughs> prototyping is just going to yeah. be a breeze because I can just slap it on the laser cut yeah. it out cardboard acrylic i mean i just i'm my brain is just oh, exploding awesome. with ideas yeah it's uh, i feel oh, i feel amazing. very very blessed and fortunate and spoiled rotten so question because like it seems like this has been a whirlwind 
Oh yeah. How long was it since from the idea to like Shoot. getting signed? Like what what was that? Like it seems like a pretty damn quick journey. It was it was unbelievably quick. Yeah. Uh because I would say I would say I probably had only cut out that prototype like in maybe a week or two before unpub, you know. Mm-hmm. So going from going from very rough prototype to having my game to having a publisher actively developing my game with, with a goal of signing it, you know, in like under a month, you know, <laughs> so oh, that's crazy. It, it is, it's, it's just nuts. So, mm-hmm. so that's been, that's been incredible, you know, and that's, and I've been toying with game design and prototyping for, you know, probably seven years, you know, just mm-hmm. as a hobby, I've never devoted yeah. the, the, the time that that's really necessary to become a professional game designer. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've learned a lot and read books and listened to podcasts. And so mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like my my and played just played lots of games and taught a lots of games. And so your design yeah. philosophy evolves over time and you start to learn what what really uh, makes a game flop. And I've had a lot of flops. <laughs> yeah. And you just embrace that. You know, you just you know, you, you, you know you have this great idea for a game, you make all the components, you 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 make up all the rules and you, you it, in your head everything just sounds amazing. You set it on a table and it just tanks. And you just learn to just you, you know it's gonna happen. You just expect it to yeah. happen. And then you're surprised when a game like Tangle pops out and mm-hmm. is fun to play on the first try. It's just it feel and honestly it feels like you just got lucky, you know, but you just keep you know, if you have Keep an idea, it, right? you just can't help but uh, you, you get an idea in your head and you just can't help but uh, try it out. Fair enough. That's awesome. I mean, uh, that that sounds like it's been a really, really cool experience. And being able to come home, you know, put these things on the table and just be and have everyone just jump on it immediately. Yeah. That that sounds like a really great experience. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's not that unique of a game if you really think about it. You know, there's there's actually the market. I've been shocked. I've been kind of dismayed, actually, at how many polyomino games have hit yeah. the market, you know. Recently, especially. Um, recently, yeah. You know, and, and I didn't realize that I was just riding, you know, I didn't feel like I was riding a a, a, a wave or a fad or anything like that, you mm-hmm. know, because it just, Blockus has been around for years, and I just have, exactly. it was Blockus that was actually the inspiration. and. Yeah, a, a mm-hmm. touch of patchwork. But the unique thing about Tangle, I think, that sets it apart from some of those other games, uh, which are fine games in their own right, is that it just distills what is fun about polyomino games for me down to its mm-hmm. bare essentials, its bare bones. Like, when yeah. I play a polyomino game, I just want to fit the pieces together. I love strategy mm-hmm. and action cards and all that stuff. But when I play a polyomino game, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for just putting the pieces together. And that's what's fun for me. And, um, exactly. you know, and Second Chance is one of my favorite games. And it does it it does a really good job of that, but it doesn't have that tactile nature. And there's, there is something yeah. therapeutic about just the tactile feeling the pieces and clicking oh, them sure. together. And one thing we did with the shapes is we intentionally selected shapes that had, uh, I'm trying to think how you would describe it. I don't know the technical term, but so that would have protrusions and then other shapes that would have receptacles for those protrusions mm-hmm. so that you, so that players would have the experience as often as possible of clicking two pieces together. Oh, that's great because that's always the most frustrating part where it's like, you know, you have these pieces and it's like they almost fit together, but they don't. And yeah. Yeah. And then when they do, it, it's just a very satisfying feeling to to just click those together. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, 
Tangle sounds like a lot of fun. I can't wait to see it on Kickstarter and can't wait to get my hands on and play it. And I really liked hearing the like history of just how it was created, how it came about, because it seems like a very, very unique way of just getting the game created. But I think that we're going to go ahead and wind down the interview now with one of my favorite questions here on Dragon's Demise. And that is, what is your favorite donut? My favorite donut. I actually just ate uh, earlier today. I caved first time in weeks and I caved and I had a Krispy Kreme donut with the chocolate, you know, the chocolate glaze on top. Just, it's hard to beat a Krispy Kreme, I tell you. That's true. It's true. The light, fluffy, yeasty donuts, those things are amazing. Mm. And there's no other donut out there that has that crispy glaze on the outside that even compares, you know, so. True. Very true. Alrighty. Well, Christopher Yoder, thank you very much for joining me today on Dragon's Demise. It was a pleasure talking to you and learning about Tangle. Oh, such a blast talking about games, Jacob. Thanks so much for having me. Tango is on Kickstarter right now, so definitely go check that out over there. And of course, be sure to check out the Facebook page, other things like that, Fisher Heaton Games or the publisher. There should be a lot of links down there for that. I'm sure my publisher would appreciate I'm sure David Abelson at Fisher Heaton Games would appreciate me putting a plug in for checking out uh, analog apps on Facebook as well. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you can find a link to that either in the show notes or on the, on the Fisher Heaton Facebook page. There we go. So definitely check all those out. And... Thank you for joining us.